From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, November 23rd. Documentary filmmakers have spent over 10 years collecting footage from the twin towns of Hilldale and Colorado City on the Utah-Arizona border. They've followed a changing community once governed by the Fundamentalist Church of Latter-day Saints. Justin Higginbottom speaks with the filmmakers about what lessons they learned reporting in a divided community. Glenn Meehan started visiting Short Creek in 2007. Like most, he only knew the area for its polygamy and authoritarian leader. Warren Jeffs was a prophet of the dominant FLDS church, and he was issuing stricter and stricter edicts. Young men were being excommunicated and kicked out of the community. Journalists swarmed the area, snapping pictures from afar. You know, at that time, of course, I was one of those journalists who were, you know, looking over the walls and shooting the children as they were on their bikes and things like that, something I regret to this day. When he returned later with director Don Argot, the towns had changed dramatically. Here's Argot. One thing really started to come to light, which was the town was very, very different. Jeffs went to prison nearly 10 years ago, and a church-controlled land trust that held nearly all property is now privatizing homes and land. Former FLDS members are moving back, and the filmmakers found a divided community trying to heal, something they recognized elsewhere in the country. You know, the people that are interested in keeping things the way they were, and then there's people that are hell-bent on turning it into something totally different and more progressive and liberal. So very easy, I think, to draw the comparison to the country as a whole, you know, when you start spending a lot of time there. The filmmakers immersed themselves in the community. They spent time with FLDS members and those that had left the church, and they found the place wasn't as divided as they thought. People were working together despite differences. Old identities, church member, Gentile, weren't everything. Residents were more than that. Getting to really see people for people, not being painted as these big broad strokes about who you are and what box you you fill, you check off in, in their eyes. Oh, you're, you're a Christian, you're an FLDS. You, I, I see you as a certain thing, as opposed to getting to know somebody on kind of a human level. Argot thinks the documentary holds lessons for the rest of the country. Those with different beliefs can live together. They can find common ground. And that doesn't mean you're going to change your beliefs or your opinions based on meeting somebody else, but you might just be a little bit more open and a little more understanding about what are the things that are similar that we that bring us together. Meehan also learned a lesson as a journalist. I think you need to approach every story with an open mind and allow people to tell their stories. Everybody has a story. Everybody has their truth. And... Who am I to say as a journalist or a producer what's right and what's wrong? It's important that we give everybody just the vehicle and the time to explain their lives and why they feel this way. And I think that the film did a great job. Their documentary, Keep Sweet, comes out on Discovery Plus this Thursday. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. A new multi-million dollar road improvement project has been approved by the Navajo Nation Council. From Cortez, Colorado, Rocky Mountain Community Radio's Lucas Brady-Woods has more. The project will cost about $25 million. That funding will go towards reconstructing almost two dozen miles of U.S. Highway 64 in the Shiprock, New Mexico area, including the complete replacement of four bridges. It will also go towards safety, lighting, and drainage improvements, and according to the Navajo Nation Council, funding will also be used for the installation of fiber optic cables to connect communities in the area. 
The funding is made up of grant money from the U.S. Department of Transportation, which was allocated by Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg and members of Congress. From Southwest Colorado, I'm Lucas Brady-Woods. Eco-anxiety is a term that describes persistent worries about the future of life on Earth. With the close of the UN's 2021 Climate Change Conference, university students and teachers in Denver, Colorado, are sharing their feelings about the climate crisis and how they handle them. Jamie Sudler with our partners at H2O Radio reports. In early November, the American Psychological Association released a report concluding, among other things, that concern about climate change and worry about the future can lead to many emotions, fear, anger, powerlessness, stress, sadness, which are all now referred to as eco-anxiety. We all experience various emotions that wax and wane when we're facing the existential threat of global warming, and it especially affects younger people who will bear the brunt of its impacts. I'm sitting outside a campus cafe with Jacqueline Miller, an undergraduate at Metropolitan State University of Denver. As she thinks about climate change... It's definitely unsettling. Her body shifts in her chair, and she says she wanted to slow down her breathing. I felt some some unsettling feelings in my stomach, you know what I mean? I wouldn't call it necessarily anxiety at this point, but it definitely is the feelings that lead to anxiety. Jacqueline is studying water and integrative health care, and she wants to start an aromatherapy business. Even with some discomfort, she seems eager to share her reactions to the climate getting warmer. She says her emotions can go from panic on one hand to feeling everything's going to be fine on the other. She thinks a lot of people are terrified that humans could be gone, or many not left. Dealing with her own anxiety, Jacqueline gets a sense of calm by working in her garden. I have a garden. I have flowers this year. Last year I did vegetables and stuff. So this year I decided to just do a bunch of flowers that bring pollinators, so bee flowers and bird flowers. Turning to nature seems to be a common way to deal with what's being called eco-anxiety. Having a range of feelings in reaction to global warming is something Dr. Adriana Nieto understands. She's the chair of the Chicano Studies Department at Metro State and says her personal reactions to climate change can go from being sad to hopeless and depressed. She says that it's important to acknowledge when we're feeling anxiety and bring more consciousness to it. We have to act. And I don't know that I act in huge ways, but I try to act in ways within my own sphere and my classroom. And she too finds some comfort in digging in the dirt. I have a tiny little courtyard in the front and the back of my house, and we've just planted, like, we've just put plants anywhere we could to green it up. But the act of touching plants and dirt and water, I think, is is grounding. Grounding is what Damarley Lang finds in the Rocky Mountains outside of Denver when he feels depressed about climate and other worries. I'll go up to the mountains, to be honest, and just enjoy some time. Um, relax. I love the mountains. Damarley is a student from Jamaica who plans to work as a lawyer, helping people in his country get access to water, which he says is difficult because of poor infrastructure. I feel angry at times, perplexed, numb, and it's just because I know that I'm not, I can't, I can't do anything, you know what I mean? Other ways to cope with climate stress, taking beautiful pictures of spiders and insects. That helps Efrain Leal Escalera, an undocumented student at the university. He arrived in the U.S. when he was six. He has already overcome many challenges in life, which makes him feel empowered when he talks to me about his emotional reactions. 
He exudes excitement. He wants to talk, but the subject of climate change, he says, makes him feel more frustrated um, more than anything and how people, a lot of people are not really taking it that seriously or not putting it into perspective in, our, in, in, in how we live our lives. When he's feeling hopeless and frustrated about the climate, he tries not to get caught up in his emotions and instead embrace them and feel them and, and process them and think about them and be aware of them and not just let them consume me. Um, that's, that's probably one of the things that I've gotten better at and just being aware. Leal Escalera engages with his community, being a voice for them and making them feel seen. He also takes beautiful pictures of insects and small creatures visible from both an artistic and scientific viewpoint. Using my photography, inspiring people and, and bringing awe and wonder and curiosity to, to those that come from similar backgrounds to mine and, you know, letting them know like, hey, we can, we can make a difference even though you don't think it's, it's a big one. It really is because I lived it and I have experienced it. In dealing with the enormity of the climate crisis and the feelings it generates, relief can be found in what one might consider small things. And not surprisingly, among the recommendations from the American Psychological Association, spend more time in nature, plant pollinator-friendly plants, be mindful of your feelings, and find connection with others, whether it's in a spiritual or political group or just with friends and neighbors. For H2O Radio in Denver, I'm Jamie Sudler. This piece comes from our partners at H2O Radio, and that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, November 23rd. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.